Hello and welcome to Hush Blackwell's Labor Law Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Godar, and together with my Hush Blackwell colleagues and thought leaders from around the country, we will discuss and explore the ever-changing issues in the world of labor law. President Biden promised to be the most pro-union president ever, and he is fulfilling that promise. The next four years promises to be a wild ride, so buckle up and join us on the Labor Law Insider Podcast. Hello again and welcome once more to the Labor Law Insider Podcast. We are excited to finish our discussion that began talking about the changes by the National Labor Relations Board, some that were predicted and others that are taking place through the activities of the general counsel and the national labor relations board regional offices to change the ways in which employers have to craft policies and enforce those policies especially as it relates to social media but also with regard to investigations and oh a number of things that our guests were going to talk about today those of you who had the chance to join us um, last podcast know that we're joined today by tyler paidko and Olga Savage, two labor law insiders with a great breadth of experience and a terrific opportunity to teach us a bit more of how the world is changing under the Biden administration's most union-friendly president ever. Let's talk about very specific areas where if I'm a a client coming in and saying, hey, we're looking at redoing our handbook, um, what kind of policies might come up for change to make sure that I'm bulletproof so I don't do something that gets me in the crosshairs of the National Labor Relations Board. I think you talked about confidentiality as one of those things. Tyler, tell us how um, a confidentiality, even either in an agreement or in a handbook, um, might be different now, a confidentiality provision or policy, than it was, say, uh, 36 months ago. Sure. So um, I, guess, I guess the best example is you, if you look back at Medical Alert, again, January 2021, the board, um, in that case, the majority was Chairman R- Ring and also member Kaplan. Um, uh, McFerrin was the dissenter. In that case, the, the board blessed social media policies that prohibited both disparagement of the employee and others and also, quote, inappropriate communications. Um, and those are kind of um, historically have been the, the touch points for union attacking or charging a violation of Section 7. Um, disparagement, the broad non-disparagement provisions that we saw uh, that were being challenged back in the Obama uh, board administration, um, they uh, are interpreted by unions, by employees, as interfering the, with the right to criticize the employer, to badmouth the boss. And that's kind of the essence of Section 7. We have these Facebook cases where people use profanity to describe their boss or the company, uh, but it's still protected under Section 7. So those broad non-disparagement pro- uh, policies are not going to survive, I think, under the current board. Um, and, and even though in medic ambulance that was one year ago, uh, that same policy was blessed. I don't think it's going to be blessed again uh, by the current board. Um, other uh, policies, well, in, in medic ambulance, it was inappropriate communications. You know, the 
the center said that was too vague. Uh, disclosure of confidential information, posting of coworkers' photos, or ask, uh, using the company logo to denigrate people or causes. Um, those were all blessed by the board just one year ago. And more recently, in this Stericycle case, um, the board set out for public comment and kind of, um, uh, I believe, kind of signaled where they're going. And they're looking for um, strengthening Section 7 rights. In the questions that are put to the public in that uh, more recent Stericycle case, the board um, is emphasizing the economic dependence of employees um, and, and, and emphasizing um, that in interpreting Section 7. So it's kind of a loaded question, I think, that the board is posing here. Um, in what respects, if any, should the board modify existing law addressing the maintenance, uh, maintenance of employer work rules to better ensure that the board interprets work rules in a way that accounts for the economic dependence of employees on their employers and the related potential for a work rule to chill the exercise of Section 7 rights by employees. Wait so a minute, wait a minute. Let, me, let, me, let, me, let me push back a second. Does that mean it's not that if you discipline an employee for going online and saying, the pay here sucks and so does my boss, but just having a policy that says that you have to be careful about disparaging uh, the company, the policy itself would be the violation, even before you get to an action to enforce it? Yeah, you. Uh, some of those on the podcast will remember during the Obama administration, many large and small employers were challenged on their social media policies. And it was the mere presence of those policies, even when it wasn't being enforced, it had a tendency, according to that board uh, to chill Section 7 rights. Um, it's a little bit like if you, in California, you can't have post-employment non-competes. So if an employer puts it in there, the idea is that's going to dissuade employees. They're not going to talk to a lawyer. Same thing with confidentiality, non-disparagement. Uh, it has a tendency, according to the Obama board and now the Biden board, to chill those Section 7 rights, to inhibit communications between employees. And I will add too that, that I think the board has really signaled that it's going to stop, step up enforcement and prosecution based on the, you know, the existence of such policies alone. I mean, it, it's worth noting another ongoing matter right now, and that's the Activision Blizzard matter, where the regional director determined that there was merit to the allegations that the company maintained an overbroad social media policy. And pieces of that policy that are available to us are really, they would seem on face to be fairly facially okay in common sense. You know, it contains statements such as keep our company's reputation in mind when deciding what to post on social media. But the argument is there, precisely as Tyler has pointed out, um, that that just having that policy on its own without even necessarily taking specific steps to discipline an employee for violating it uh, can create a situation where an employee is worried about going on social media, for example, and complaining about their manager or poor management practices, poor employee 
employment practices, poor pay practices at the company because they're afraid that they would get disciplined under the social media policy for doing so. Uh, so that chilling effect is something that the board has been very conscious of, and it's really stepping up um, you know, potential prosecution of uh, based on policies that have that effect right now. So the, here's the so what question. So what if they don't like your policy? What's the, what's the kind of remedies, what's the kind of hammer that a board that's an active board uh, pursuing union-friendly policies, as we've been discussing within the social media or confidentiality context, what's the hammer that they can bring down? So my prediction there is we're going to see more audits of employer policies, large and, and small. If a union wants to organize, they're going to file an unfair labor practice charge over overbroad policies. And as the as the dissenters just said in Stericycle, um, uh, this is kind of the standard now. Uh, in its chosen role as arbiter of all workplace rules, policies, and handbooks, the board found rules violative of the act if there was any way they might be read to interfere with the exercise in, of section employee section seven rights. Few rules could withstand withstand scrutiny under this test. So, with that new test, um, if it might interfere with section seven rights, it's going to be struck down, and that will require redoing those handbooks. It gives unions leverage in any organizing campaign because then they have a kind of a foot in the door and a reason to argue that the employer is violating federal labor law. Um, I, that's why I'm saying that it's better to get out in front of these before whatever happens the next two years. Um, we may have to revise our handbook in another two years, but for now, I just see in the next two years more and more uh, charges being filed just over the presence of policies, uh, sometimes coupled with other charges for leverage. And the outcome of those charges is, you know, various forms of relief that the administrative law judge who's who's presiding over the charge and making the decision can order. And that could be a number of different things. There's the injunctive relief piece basically saying, hey, employer, you you know, what you've done violated uh, the law and you have to make the following changes, change the following policies, change the following practices. Um, if there's a situation where, let's say, an employee was terminated for purportedly violating a policy that the judge, the administrative law judge determines to have been unlawful, there might be a requirement that the employee be reinstated with back pay. And then there's also um, what we sometimes call the scarlet letter order, where if there's, if there's a finding that you that a company engaged in unlawful business practices violated the National Labor Relations Act, they you know, the, the ALJ, the administrative law judge can order them to post a, a notice to everyone, hey, we did something wrong, this is what we did wrong, we're never doing it again, and here's what we've been ordered to do to fix it. Well, we talked about it can be more than just a posting nowadays. It can be a video that's then displayed and probably copied and redisplayed. But so those, those are those are real threats. Practical, very practical advice. I'm calling up. I'm with a healthcare uh, institution, a manufacturer, a, a transportation or distribution group. They say, Olga, what policies ought to I look at in my handbook? Where are the where are the two or three or four that you'd first direct them towards? I would say social media, and I think we've talked about that and the reasons for that at length. Definitely the social media policy, definitely any kind of code of conduct 
policy, because that's where a lot of times we see that language to the effect of it's a violation of the company's code of conduct to make negative statements, disparaging statements, harmful statements, statements that would damage the company's um, reputation. Uh, you know, here's a little unique one that we haven't really talked about is uh, protocols for conducting workplace investigations, right? Because where we see issues come up a lot there, and you mentioned we talked about confidentiality some time ago, is there's an inclination and a totally understandable desire to, let's say you're conducting a workplace investigation and you want to tell the person you're interviewing in the course of the investigation, this is a confidential HR matter, don't disclose anything that was discussed in our interview. Well, that's arguably going to be problematic and this is an issue that the general counsel specifically flagged as potentially problematic because being told not to discuss the investigation could arguably be interpreted as not being able to go to other employees and say, hey, these horrible things have been going on at the company that are the subject of the investigation. So investigation practices are, are probably going to be impacted here. And then putting even in addition to policies uh, and handbooks, we also have to look at the possibility that things may have to change uh, in severance and release agreements, because there's been some indication uh, that there's going to be a re-examination of whether it's permissible from the board's perspective to have confidentiality and non-disparagement provisions in separation and release agreements, which is an extraordinarily common uh, language that's normally included in these agreements. So these are all various areas that are likely to be impacted as we continue to see more developments moving forward. Wow, thanks for that. And, and I'm gonna give you last word, Tyler, uh, any practical advice uh, that goes beyond what we've already touched on uh, for employers who are looking at this um, sea change, especially as it relates to social media, but even in the broader context that Olga shared with us? Yeah, I think those are all great points by Olga. You got to look everywhere, not just in the handbook, uh, other policies, your agreements, a couple of drafting rules. Uh, employers should be uh, careful not to be so sweeping in their policies that they would prohibit the kinds of activities that are protected by federal law. And I, here I'm not just talking about the NLRA, but discrimination, harassment, that's a trend to not um, silence people who are critics. Um, similarly, any prohibition on discussion of wages, compensation, or working conditions of employees is, is problematic. Um, employees' comments on social media are generally not protected if they are mere individual gripes not made in relation to group or collective activity among the employees. So just it doesn't give them a free pass on social media is the point of that. Um, employers may lawfully prohibit employees from share, sharing confidential and proprietary information online. Trade secrets still protected. Uh, employers may still lawfully prohibit employees from using vulgar, obscene, uh, intimidating, harassing material, including online. But there I would include a Section 7 disclaimer, i.e. nothing in this policy should be construed to restrain employees' rights to organize and engage in protected act, uh, concerted activity. And th those are kind of general rules. Um, anything that might be construed as discouraging workplace complaints, complaints about wages or working conditions should just be taken out. Um, and I I just along that same line, a broad non-disparagement is not going to fly. Um, it's got to be very specific as to what you know what the neutral um, reason is for that rule. Um, a broad confidentiality, confidentiality, broad non-disparagement, I think, will not survive 
under the current board? Well, I feel for our clients um, as they try to discover exactly what behavior, policy, or agreement might <laughs> cause that to be going over a tripwire, uh, because it is, in my estimation, um, a changing standard. Uh, at the same time, I've had very few clients call recently and say, hey, let's go through the handbook. So I have a feeling we've got lots that could be done fairly easily um, to bring uh, the handbooks into greater compliance. But this discussion has been really helpful, I'm sure, to our listeners about how to uh, be concerned and to take some proactive action, as you suggested, Tyler, to, uh, to amend their ways. Olga Tyler, this has just been a delight. Uh, we're so happy to have you as guests on the Labor Law Insider. Thank you so much. And uh, friends, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. <laughs>